The Boys Don't Try podcast, episode 3, Peer Pressure. Welcome to episode 3 of the Boys Don't Try podcast. I am, of course, once again joined by uh, Matt Pinker and Mark Roberts. We're going to be talking about peer pressure. Um, how are we, gents? How's your week been? Good, thanks. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. You, Mark? Yeah, it's, it's been busy. Um, it's been busy, but uh, yeah, up and down. It's, it's um, juggling stuff, constantly juggling. You know how it is. That is that is very much how it is at the moment, isn't it? We're all juggling various different things. Um, I thought it'd be nice to open with a, a brief chat today about um, how we're uh, coping with lockdown in terms of just keeping fit and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really struggling and I'm genuinely concerned I'm not going to fit into my suit come the time uh, I have to return to school wearing one. Yeah. Uh, I've, well, let's start with Mark, because Mark, I know you... I mean, even looking at you now, Mark, you look like you have shed considerable amounts of timber. Um, I, I'm feeling pretty smug today. Um, today, you say? Yes, today, just for today. And uh, yeah, I, I did about 18,000 steps today. Uh, I went for a run this morning, up at six. And then I've just been running around like a red-ass deerwig for the rest of the day. Uh, but I, I think that every single benefit I've had from, from doing plenty of exercise has been more than counteracted by the amount of crap I've been eating and uh, too many shandies of an evening. So uh, I'm, I'm feeling all right. I'm kind of keeping it at bay, but I wouldn't say that I'm slimming down. I'd say that I'm just about finger in the dike at this moment in time. I'm, uh, I, I, struggle, I, I struggle without team sport, I've got to be honest. I find myself, I find it very difficult to go. I've tried to go, I'm doing about a run a week at the minute. And I hate it. It's the worst thing ever. I, I find it very difficult to do physical exercise if I can't beat somebody. I bet, I bet you're used to having someone shout at you, aren't you? If, if people don't shout abuse at you, you don't move as much. All, all the time I've ever really pushed myself physically has been during football training sessions. So, yeah, I've had somebody yelling at me to push on through and I can't motivate myself to do it. I'm having kind of the opposite thing. I have recently started courting someone. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, said person said to me recently, I prefer you when you're fat. <laughs> Fatter, though. You, you used to be quite a hench, though, didn't you? you were a... Yeah, I used to be in really... I, yeah, I used to be in like, quite, quite all right shape. Um, it's fair to say that now I'm most definitely not in any sort of shape that could be perceived positively. However, the person that I'm courting um likes me fat and the the thing is all of the things that it takes to be fat i'm very good at yeah and all eating lots eating lots drinking lots lots. and all the things that it takes to not be fat hard work effort um (laughs) i'm quite i'm quite bad at um i think she is underestimating just how fat i can get um it sounds like a green light mate it sounds like you've been you've been someone's waved the uh waved the drumstick the chicken drumstick and said go for it it sounds it sounds quality i'm doing a walk i am doing a walk every day um but i start sweating very early on very early on i had a conversation with my neighbor uh because he's who's quite into his he's running he runs like 
really long way really quickly. And, uh, and he was sort of saying, oh, yeah, but you can be competitive against yourself. It's about beating the previous time and improving and that sort of stuff. And the problem is I'm so competitive, I would cheat. Uh, even if I know I'm cheating myself, I would still. I, I stopped. I stopped there to tie my shoelace. That's. that's <laughs> what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah. I had that chat with that bloke and his dog, and that that was another three minutes at least. And I would end up cheating it down to the point where I felt good about myself, even though I'd done demonstrably worse than my previous effort. I need team sport really badly. You don't. You need a therapist, James. <laughs> well, how much of this is me is me being masculine and needing needing to to prove myself to people who are actually watching and and not just to stop the, the competitive part is is massive, yeah. Yeah, look, let's be honest here. Do you run faster even though you're blowing out your ass when a member of the opposite sex is around? I don't think it has to be a member of the opposite sex. It could be literally anybody or anything. If a squirrel goes by, I'm proving <laughs> myself to that squirrel. I left like a 65-year-old guy for dead the other day and was well chuffed for myself. I was amazing. I was, and I, I was kind of going downhill with the wind behind me. I was like, yeah, see, see you, Grandpa. I, I have got a bit of a problem now, actually, um, as, a, as, as somebody that's walking um, with joggers. Because... Fellow walkers will go out of their way to avoid me. <laughs> I imagine most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's him again. Um, um, whereas joggers think that because they're running or jogging, it's it's okay to pass me at. You know, do you know what I mean? Like they're they're not doing the two meter thing. Joggers will just jog past me, and people think. I think what they're thinking is. Um, well, because I'm jogging, I'll be, you know, I'll be lightning fast and I'll I'll be at outside a range of two metres in just a few seconds. But have you seen that scary video on Twitter about the, the German one about if you are going at speed, then you need more distance between you and anyone near you? Joggers need to get the hell out of my way because... My reach is is under two meters. <laughs> the, the other thing that's compounding my issue at the minute is uh, I'm because I'm in my house far more often than I am normally. Um, I'm I'm eating a lot of crap and I'm I'm definitely drinking more than I would otherwise. Is that do you think this is do you think the nation is? It seems to be that way. Yeah, I've got mates that like never drink and they're they're just always um, they're just always. In the gutter now. You know? It's one of us. That's Mark. That's Mark. I've only got. Two, I've, uh, by the way, I've, I've only got two mates, and it's you two. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my point is though that I don't eat a great deal when I'm at school on a normal day, and I walk a lot more than I currently am. There's a sedentary nature to my lifestyle at the moment. Yep. that is is really problematic for me. Yeah, it is tough. It's tough. Um, but exercise is good. I'm hoping for I can all. play tennis again soon, though. In it golf. You can play golf or tennis. Apparently, they're the two. They're the two sports. So really, um, hitting the middle class people. Mark, they um, they love tennis and golf up in Wakefield, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, um, <laughs> they watch they watch it once a year when it's on uh, Wimbledon and that one uh, with the claret jug. My brother's already asked me to go and play golf with him, but I said no because he always beats me, and I'm, <laughs> I can't be doing with that. 
jeez. You are you are competitive. You might be more. Com- who's more competitive out of you two? I'm ridiculously competitive. I don't let my kids beat me at anything. Yeah, I'm absolutely terrible. I just I'm quite good at hiding it, but people who know me well know that I am horrific at losing. Absolutely horrific. I think we need to organise a boys don't try fight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'd be dreadful at that, though. I'm an abject coward. Okay, No, but, you know, well, look at Mark. He, he's not Andy either, so... <laughs> <laughs> lads, lads, banter, banter, banter. Right, let's... Right. Let's, talk let's about, move on. Yes, let's, move on. let's talk about peer pressure. Let's, let's, yeah. So... Mark, obviously, the, the chapter three, the peer pressure chapter, is 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 yours. Um, you start the chapter talking quite openly about your own school experience, um, and and that's one of the reasons I think it chimed chimed with me quite a lot. And I don't think our school experiences were particularly similar, but I could see some things in there that that I recognised. Um, can you summarise for us why you felt that was your way into this chapter? I think that my experience was was certainly typical of of boys like me who were, were pretty clever um wanted to do well deep down but but felt this this intuition you just got this real sense that if i start to to show how clever i am and if i start to get all the questions right and and do what i really wanted to do my life's not going to be good and, and there, were, there were certain elements that, that, that would have protected me a bit from that. The fact that I was good at sport, the fact that I'm, I'm pretty big. Um, but no, I, I, do, I just, I was watching around me, I just saw, and, and the transition, I think, going up to secondary was something that I really noticed that this is what happens to, to lads who are trying to fit in but get too many questions right. So, so for me, I, I felt that that anecdote was a really useful way of understanding the madness of, of the lengths that, that, that boys can go to to try to mask things, to try to hide the fact um, that they want to do well. Um, and it comes out in all the classic ways that we see in terms of the disruption, the lack of effort, um, the messing around, the homophobia, the, the silly jokes, the, the, the banter gone wrong, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you 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 reference Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde as a comparison, <laughs> yeah. which that our, our English literature teachers are going to love. But did you almost feel like like you were leading a double life? I don't think I realised that much at the time. I think I was on autopilot. I think I was doing stuff and not really knowing that much why I was doing it. And it's only like looking back a few years later that I realised the absolute insanity of what I was attempting to do. Um, and and recognizing that kind of repressing your your true nature um, is, is something that takes its toll. But at the time, I just thought, well, it's much more fun to mess around. But then, when I was in lessons where the teacher wouldn't allow me to mess around, I actually deep down had a lot more fun, a lot more enjoyment out of that. So I kind of knew that something was going on, but I wasn't able to kind of articulate it and to put the pieces together and to work out that I was leading this kind of double life. Can I just interject here? People think I'm the dramatic one. <laughs> I'm not trivialising your experience. I'm just saying, <laughs> are you really Jekyll and Hyde? Uh, it's, 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 it's inverse, actually, isn't it? I, I was the opposite. I was, I was an idiot, a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a yob, causing trouble, 
um, you know, abusing teachers, getting into fights, bullying other kids. Uh, and deep down, I wanted to be respectable. I wanted to be uh, a sensible member of uh, of my peer group. How important then do you think to the to the male psyche as a young man is this idea of acceptance and popularity, and that being more important than making the most of our education? I'm aware that when when we we do this podcast and and, and in the book as well that, that sometimes when we talk about boys, we're in danger of of, of generalising. And, and there, there are lots of boys that are able to to ignore peer pressure or to deal with the consequences of it and, and, and are driven in a way that, that for them, it's something that they're able to escape. I, I, I accept what you're saying, but let's face it, the title, Some Boys Don't Try, just wouldn't work. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, but... But it's accurate that, you know, that, that, that some boys are able to, to cope with the idea of, of, of not being that popular. For me, and I think for, for a, a sizable majority, it, it's absolutely vital that, that you want to fit in and you care more about what your mates and, and other impressionable uh, youngsters within the year group than you do at the time about your academic success. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and just going back to your point, Matt, I think the question mark covers that problem. Oh, it? that question mark. Right. Can I? Sorry, we've got to talk about this question mark for two minutes. <laughs> Boys don't try question mark. Yeah, I get people ringing me going like, oh, so I've heard you re- wrote a book called um, Boys Don't Try. And I'm like, no, it's actually Boys Don't Try. And they're like, what, so you think that boys are awful and they don't try? And I say, no, 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 have, have you got a physical copy of the book with you? They're like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a question mark and they haven't got a copy. And and just, can I just say for the record here that the book is called Boys Don't Try? Rethinking Masculinity in Schools. I, I think I think that, that question mark covers any, any danger there might be of people thinking you're generalising. Okay, so... Uh, where does this disdain for academic ability in boys come from then? Why why are people singled out for their nerdiness and being studious and 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 why isn't that what boys want to be? Well, first of all, we know from from the research that young people who see themselves as not fitting the stereotypical label of their gender are more likely to be teased or bullied or or shunned by their peers. We also know that boys feel a greater pressure to be seen as boy-like uh, as opposed to girls feeling to, the need to be girl-like. So that's something that's really driven them. And, and boys, are a lot of them are really driven by this need to, to, to come across as kind of like a, a, a genuine real man in, in, in quotation marks for those people who didn't notice the, uh, the question mark at the end of Boys Don't Try. Um, and, and we also know from the research that peer pressure impacts both genders. Yeah. So what you're talking about, what you're talking about there, is gender conformity. Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? So gender conformity is really key, and gender conformity is powerful for boys and girls. But because to be seen to be uh, studious and organised and hardworking, all those kind of qualities that teachers love to see in students. Those are all stereotypically feminine qualities. So for girls, they want to be seen to be girly, to, to conform to their gender. For them, they, they need to work hard. They feel this pressure to work hard to, to appear feminine. For boys, it's the exact opposite. 
where if if you adopt those those qualities, you are seen as girly. So so that's the problem, and that's why lots of boys end up who want to do well messing around and then trying to catch up on the slide, trying to work in, in secret or or they'll only work in lessons where they've not really got any choice about it because the teacher won't stand for it, anything and, and has got this real you know, strict working environment where they've got to crack on. So I think that's what's going on. I think, I think it's important to say at this point that, um, yeah, to work hard, to ask teachers questions, to ask for extra work, um, they're typically girl girly behaviors and to rebel to to not do those things are typically boy behaviors um and so in the academic sense um these kind of gen expectations of what it is to be a boy or a girl um is working out better for the girls all right because funnily enough doing extra work having better relationships with your teachers working hard asking questions um leads to better exam results however i do feel the need to say um that pastorally or emotionally and when we're talking about mental health expectations of what it is to be a girl um versus expectations of what it has to be a boy i think girls have it a lot worse like the the pressure to look at to the pressure to look a certain way to act a certain way um as you get older and you know when they get into their late teens and early adulthood and yeah so in the academic sense gender gender conformity isn't great for boys girls get the better deal but uh the research certainly suggests that gender conformity and gender expectations when we're thinking about kids mental health and that sort of thing um it's not so great for the it's, girls. That's a really important point. And it's, it's something that it has a short-term benefit for girls as well. Because one of the things that, that we, we worry about when you read this research is that when, when you get out into the, the, the job market and you see that, that women are underpaid and, and they're, they're not promoted as much as, as men. And, and I think all these kind of stereotypes about uh, girls being kind of diligent and, and, uh, and kind of hardworking and, and obedient are things that carry on through to their careers and probably hold them back where, where boys are seen as kind of a bit a bit mouthy but but dynamic and it's something that that's that's not helpful in the long run either for girls so it's a really important point you made there mark yeah it's really difficult isn't it um for for for, for all kids isn't it growing up it has its challenges let's let's focus for a minute if we can on on um uh, you mentioned some research, Mark. Uh, you, are you citing a particular study when you talk about um, the, the way boys view academic ability? There's, there's quite a few that I, I reference um, in the book. There's, there's an interesting one uh, by Wayne Martino that's an Australian study. And, and this probably links us on to, to when we're going to talk about sport in, in a bit. But in, in Australian schools, um, sport is, is very much seen as, as the thing that... that gives you the access to, to being a cool boy. And, and what Martino writes out, it's, it's often thought that peer pressure is a bit of a um, working class phenomenon. But actually, it shows in this study that, that, that middle class boys from quite affluent areas are also feeling this, this peer pressure. And what they tend to do is they, they, they manage to get by, but they, they scrape by, by by doing work in silent and, and, and on the sly at home, silently at home without telling anyone. Um, and I think it's important to point out that the peer pressure is something that I think 
in an academic sense with boys runs throughout the whole stratification of our society. You know, you, you look at things like the the prime minister uh, calling uh, David Cameron a girly swat because he got a first and, and Boris Johnson only got a 2-1. Uh, and I think that these, these kind of attitudes are, are pretty endemic, really. So that that's a fair point. But is this not something that we would normally associate with working class societies? I mean, there's research in the book that seems to suggest that. I'm, I'm thinking of the Willis study, which you cite. Yeah, I think traditionally peer pressure has been more associated uh, with working class um, boys uh, and students. Um, and, and I think that the, the Willis study is, is an absolute classic study of it. Uh, for those who are not familiar with it, it, it goes back to, to 1977. And it, it looks at a, um, a, a group of 12 lads in a, in a school in the West Midlands, in, a, in a, a really industrial town. And they make it their business to, to go out of their way to kind of ruin lessons and to infringe on school rules as much as possible and to make the life of, of the, the SWATs and the nerds as they see them as much of a misery as possible. They don't call them SWATs and nerds, funnily enough. They, they call them ear rolls. Uh, and so, sorry, Matt, to, uh, to to bring ears into this. Uh, but I remember you, you asked me. <laughs> oh, that's a low blow, wasn't yeah. that? That was a I'd, low blow. I'll tell you what that is, non-tender masculinity. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I was channeling these horrible boys. And uh, and it's funny, you, you once asked me and said, what, why do you think they call them ear rolls? And I didn't know at the time, and I, I couldn't really work it out. And it, it hit me recently. Again, sorry, I'm slipping into English teacher mode again. But there's this um, literary device called a synecdoche, where you use a part of something to represent the whole. Uh, and in this case, I think what they're doing, they're using the, the, the ear roll as a way of representing the entire person. So what they're saying, effectively, is that these kids who are, who are keen to do well are defined by the fact that they're listening, that their ears are open and, open and ready to kind of receive information. And that's how these other kids see them. They see them as a joke, as ridiculous, as pathetic, because they want to listen to the teacher. Uh, and, and for me, it's a, it's a really powerful study that, that the, the subtitle to, the, to the, the book, Learning to Labour, is how working class kids get working class jobs. Uh, and I think that the, the element of peer pressure, not wanting to do well or, or, or not being able to show that you want to do well, rather, kind of condemns you in some way to a poor, a poor outcome at times um, for some kids. So uh, I, my issue here, Mark, is I, I can hear Twitter shouting at me as people go, but this was a piece of research from 1977. There's only 12 boys. Is this still relevant in our society, in your opinion? Twitter does like a shout, doesn't it? Especially at the moment. It does uh, like a shout. <laughs> um, I, I think it is relevant because I think we, we all see uh, boys like that still now uh, behaving in that way. With, with that kind of group mentality at, at times. Um, but, I mean, if you want more recent research that's come out since since the book was published, uh, there was a Swedish study from 2017 that was interesting in that it showed that, that, that one of the reasons why boys are so affected by peer pressure is that, according to the researchers, that boys are more exposed to what they call resistant friends than girls. And I think by resistant friends, they mean ones who, who are more likely to muck about, ones who are, who are less keen to work. There's more of them, so it's more likely to affect boys. Uh, and then in 2018, there was a, an, another study by uh, Egarov et al., which, which really made it clear that when it comes down to peer pressure, some schools are more affected by, than others. And I think that, that it comes down to whether, as the research put it, whether you've got a culture where it's cool to be smart or it's smart to be cool. And, and, and that can make a big impact on, on how 
uh, boys buy into it. So if, we, if we're going to get into solutions, I think that one of the things that we're looking at is long term, you've got to shift the, the ethos of the school. So you try to shift it and harness peer pressure in a, in a positive way so that it's, it's, a, it's cool to work hard and, and it becomes very uh, inspirational rather than dragging each other down. But in the short term, we've got to think very carefully about what we're going to do with these boys, particularly the ones who are, who are clever boys, who want to do well deep down, but are terrified of being shown up in front of the mates. And that's not easy. I'm going to leave the solutions chat for a minute because we'll, we'll get to all of that. But do you think there is a, a particular issue surrounding sort of um, sport uh, and why boys feel that sporting prowess is a better way to get that acceptance and popularity than maybe academic study? Let's. I want to address the fact that Mark earlier spoke about um, you know the Willis study of 1977. Um, I do still think that study is relevant. However, there is more recent research um, that shows that boys want to be good at everything, not just sport. You know, um, you can prove your manliness or your status as a male or the alpha or whatever you want to call it in any number of different ways in the school uh, environment, including doing well in exams and in lessons and working hard and actually um, research more recent research shows that boys recognize this fact boys that are sporty for example um, still see the value in getting into English or citizenship or history and working hard however however the sport in arena, the football pitch, the, the, the football team um, being seen as sporty is still more valued as a means of asserting your masculinity than anything else. So it's complex. Like boys will, boys, boys can assert their masculinity in any number of ways, but sport and physical prowess still holds like the su- supreme spot. Is is that a school-based problem or a society-based problem? Um, well, if it's a you know, if it's a society-based problem, it, it it only is because schools have um, facilitated it, yeah. Because everyone in society has been to school, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it's a real problem. So how no, I'm really interested in this, Matt. So how how do schools facilitate it then? What what does it look like? How how does this happen? Because some people listening to this might just say, well, you know, schools have football teams and rugby teams. What what's the issue? Okay, so what we have to understand is um, this concept of like hegemonic masculinity, and hegemonic masculinity is a masculinity that is defined by leadership, assertiveness physical strength, um, aggression. Now, it's a desirable form of masculinity that is attractive. Okay, And it's attractive because it's the masculinity that we see in our superheroes and our cartoons that we grow up in as kids, uh, grow up watching as kids. And in our sporting heroes. And our sporting heroes, of course, yeah. And, you know, if I'm a 13-year-old boy... Um, 
and I want to achieve this hegemonic masculinity. By the way, hegemonic masculinity, it should be said, isn't the most dominant form of masculinity. It's simply the most desirable. Um, and in a way, it's rendered more fragile by that fact because only a few people achieve it. There's only a few boys on the playground that can be aggressive, violent, strong and skilled. Sport is the only place you can achieve that, you know. So um, when you're on a sports team, boys are given free reign to be like their sporting heroes, their superheroes, um, you know, the people they read in comics and stuff like that. So sport is something that's really positive, but we do have to watch it because what boys are doing when they're in PE lessons and also when they're a break time on the football pitch, what they're doing is they're, they're kind of negotiating their way around masculinity and they're experimenting with it. And at the end of the day, everybody wants to do that. The problem is that what comes with this kind of hegemonic form of masculinity is the othering of boys that don't conform or aren't skilled enough or aren't strong enough um, and tied in with that is lots of homophobia um, and stuff like that is is there is there an issue then with with role models here because our Premier League footballers we see them swearing and being aggressive on the football pitch and doing all those things are, are we are we responsible for creating our own problem? Well, they're, they're not allowed to be gay for starters, are they, these role models? That, that's one thing. You, 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 you do not get... You know, there's probably one or two in, 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 the to- in my lifetime where I can think of who've, who've come out as, as gay um, professional footballers. It just doesn't happen, does it? For me, it, it, that, that is clearly an issue that we've got. Yeah, I mean, um, homophobia feminization of boys that aren't good at sport is a serious problem and by the way i just want to say here when i say feminization of boys like it's a bad thing it's not but for the boys on the playground it is if you can't catch a ball or if you can't um you know you can't run fast you are derided as a girl or as gay and unfortunately even in 2020 these are things that the majority of boys do not want because um, to be a proper man or to be a proper boy is to be heterosexual and good at sport. So is there a kind of a, a binary between being good academically and being good at sport? Um, recent research says it isn't necessarily a binary, but we certainly need to tackle the emphasis on sporting prowess as the only means of achieving this kind of desirable masculinity that boys want and also on the playground you know um the, the the playground at the moment is a is an arena where boys can be gladiators and girls linger on the side and and that, that's another thing that needs to change i'm, I'm not answering the question here now but the, the point you're making really is that the two are not mutually exclusive are they that's the point we can be we can be we can be we can be academically uh studious and, and bright and intelligent and show how good and clever we are and potentially sporting and they, they, we don't have to do one without the other yeah exactly and, bo- and and i also want to stress my this was my original point boys recognize that actually despite despite what we might think boys recognize 
that you don't have to choose one or the other. However, they do value sporting prowess or um, you know physical strength and, and stuff uh, above the academia. So we need to kind of just level that out and, and realise that actually boys need to realise that being strong or being able to score a goal or being able to swear at somebody and call somebody gay because they haven't scored a goal isn't the way you you are a man or a good person, you know? So we need to kind of raise the emphasis on academia and, like, that's a way of being a good person or a good man, but also all these kind of toxic things that can potentially come with team sports, we need to chip away at those. So they, they kind of meet in the middle. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and these aren't things that are limited to schools, though, either. I mean, I, I'm sitting here thinking now and reflecting on my own experiences. And I want to have a word with my older brother and and all the lads in the university football team I played for because I did a drama and English degree and was derided for being a lovey. Um, I mean, all those sorts of things have just are, are really ingrained. Um, I love my brother dearly, but he, he destroyed me for, do, for for going to university doing drama um and 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 has always been athletically bigger stronger better than me a bit like me and mark <laughs> well possibly i think i think it's a really good point but i think also that we, we talked a lot about sport and, and, and rightly so but i think this idea of of, of physical prowess and, and and the idea of physical strength it isn't just confined to sport when you look at the impact of peer pressure. When we go back to, to Willis's lads, um, they they really were, valued the idea of going working in, in the factory, not just because it gave them money for, for fags and beer, but because it allowed them to kind of get, get their hands dirty and work with their hands and show their strength. And they saw this as man's work, whereas studying was, was women's work or, or girls' work. And I think you, you, you see this throughout and, and this is something that I've certainly felt throughout my life when I've, I've moved from working in a factory to going and studying going back to college uh, four years after I'd left school and and some of my some of my uncles you can kind of see that they're looking at you as if to say you know that's not proper work you know you need to you need to get yourself sorted out and it reminds me of Seamus Heaney again we I'm, I'm going down I'm going down an English teacher route again here but you know that um the, the poem digging I know it well yeah, well, this, in, in this is like, so Seamus Heaney is, is kind of like a, a working class intellectual. And he sat there up in his study and, and he's, he's doing his own work and probably writing some poetry, very unmanly uh, activity. And he's looking down and he can see his dad out digging in the garden. And his dad is someone who, who goes out and is, is a peat digger. Uh, and, he, and he writes this line, by God, the old man could handle a spade, just like his old man. And he sees, looking back over the generations, this, this traditional working class um, physical labour, and he kind of really celebrates this, this skill, handling the spade. And he feels inadequate because he looks and, and, and he says, I've no spade to follow men like them. And he feels weak for being an intellectual. And I think this is something that fits into what's going on here. Just so I'm clear here. The spade is a spade, yeah, it's not... Um... Yeah, this is one of those times where we call a spade a spade, definitely. It's, yeah. it's not a euphemism. No. In, in seriousness, he, at the end, he, he, kinda, he comes to terms by this, by recognising that for him, his pen is the spade. He kind of digs with a pen, and he, he, he manages to find this kind of equivalence where his 
intellectual labor is on a par with our physical labor and he sees it as the same but it's a rare brain that can get to that stage and it takes a lot of um a lot of difficulty and a lot of um feeling different for for most kids from working class backgrounds to get a kind of um sense of relaxation with yourself should we start looking about uh, at solutions then mark i mean you um i want to cite something you say in the book about the your your french class where you were taught by a teacher who insisted on long periods of silent work and they for you were havens because it meant you could actually achieve and have no excuse coming out of it is one of the things that we can do as a, as schools be better at our behaviour management and producing classrooms that allow people to work without these sorts of pressures. Absolutely. And it's not just about strictness. You, you can't get by um, with, with, with these kind of lads just purely on strictness alone. It has to be strictness that, that comes with a deep sense of understanding and that warmth so that you're willing to build relationships and, and really get to understand uh, the mindset of what's going on but but yeah if you've not got a teacher who's going to insist that there are going to be long periods where you're actually going to get on with this and you're going to have silence and you're not going to be allowed to to mess around and waste time um, and, and it helps when you've got a teacher who really knows what they're talking about so that you've got that deep sense of respect but for me that was an absolute haven and I just thought if more teachers would have been like that my life would have been a lot easier and I think that's one key thing. I think the second thing um, is that those kind of conversations, and the more I think about this, the more I think that this is absolutely key, that you have at the end of lessons, you know, you keep a lad back and, and you say things like, uh, you could do really well if you sorted yourself out. You need to pull yourself together. You need to get a grip, that kind of thing. I think if we, if we understand what's going on with peer pressure, we can reframe those conversations and we can say things like, you know, you, you let yourself down today. I understand that you want to do well deep down, but at the same time, you, you're spending more time trying to impress your mates than you are trying to impress me. Uh, and, and in the long run, they're going to move on and you're going to be disappointed with how your life's turned out. And I think that, that those kind of little conversations where you acknowledge the pressure that they feel is, is really important and really powerful and we need to do more of that. Is there a, a duty for us to be better role models uh, as teachers can we reduce the pressure in that way the idea of the, of the male role model or even the female role model as a teacher is is pretty complex um, because there's not just one type of role model and there's not just one type of context where where, where different pupils need need one type of person I think that for us the, the idea of them being someone that us being someone that they can look up to is very much about building those relationships, having clear boundaries, uh, and really teaching well. When you look at the research, most kids just want to be taught well. They don't care about the gender of the teacher. They just want really good teaching in an environment where they can get on with their work and they feel comfortable. Splendid. Okay, I, th I mean, I think that's that's a, a really good praise of the chapter. I really enjoyed this chapter, Mark. I think it's, it spoke to me in a lot of ways. Like I said, it, it chimed with my own uh, school experience. And I think, I think we've... Um, We've had a good stab at trying to pull out the, the key issues. James, are you able to just send that praise over to me? <laughs> I haven't read. You skipped I haven't that read one, it. didn't if you? you could I, just... I knew you skipped that one. <laughs> I knew you were quiet today. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shall we move on to some listeners' Let's questions, do gentlemen? It. Let's do um, it. A couple of questions that we've got from listeners. Um, the first one I think is an interesting one. Is peer pressure more prevalent among boys at different key stages? I'd say no. So uh, I'm going to go back to back to sport here. Um, but I've been reading a lot recently about the way that yeah there's a pressure to be good at sport and actually a large majority of the research that I've that I've encountered is a is at primary school and um I think you know I think it'd be folly to think that that all of these things these adult things like peer pressure happen at secondary school or university um Boys in primary are scarily aware of, of masculinity and what it means to be a man and what it takes to be a man. So my answer to the question, are there differences across different key stages, it would be no, not at all. If anything, I, I would say, you know, kids, they see gender in much more black and white terms earlier on in school. And as a result of that, the peer pressure that comes with gender and to to act certain ways um, would manifest it and reveal itself much more clearly and obviously lower down school or lower down the education system. Like I've got like my daughter, my my daughter's three years old, and and the stuff that she says to me, you know, like um, boys can't cry and and stuff like that you know and i, I feel like I've, I've as i as i've raised her obviously is that with a question mark <laughs> boys boys don't cry <laughs> <laughs> i i used to think that that year, that year eight year nine was like a real crunch point and a lot of the research into peer pressure does look at those those year groups where the assumption is that the hormones kick in, puberty kicks in, and that's where things change. But I think Matt's absolutely right that you, you look a bit at the research earlier and, and it shows that these things are happening much sooner than, than we might have thought. And I know as, as a parent of, of three boys, um, you know, I, I spot this a lot earlier than I ever imagined. So my, my six-year-old is, is nearly seven. He took a book to school that, that my wife had given him. It was at Enid Blight and Mallory Towers. And he'd read loads of Enid Blyton and really enjoyed them, really loved reading them. Um, and, and he took this, and, and because it was kind of seen as, as a bit of a pink cover, a bit of a girl's book, he was, he was getting a few sniggers and he was getting laughter and he was embarrassed to read it as his class book. So he's kind of reading it secretly at home. Um, and and th- this for me was like shocking and pretty emblematic of, of how much of an issue this is. Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield for parents, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've got a seven-year-old boy and I, I find trying to, 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 to get him on in the world is really difficult without resorting to masculine cliche. I, I coach his football team. I've got all these seven-year-olds and I've got these lads that run through a brick wall and my lad won't. He's a bit more sensitive. And I find myself having to stop myself for sort of addressing the, the the whole sort of man up thing that my that my father said to me when I was his age it's it's, it's really hard isn't it because we've got to try and disperse our own uh, prejudices first yeah I mean I, I'm I'm pretty lucky in that 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 my my lads that if you talk to them about this and you kind of reason with them you explain that that, that it's not this weakness then that the strength comes in rejecting these kind of stereotypes and and they're pretty good at doing it but even so you can see the pressure that it puts them under. 
Um, and you can see yeah. that it's a battle. I think it's also important to talk about what peer pressure is. When we're, when we're talking about peer pressure, we often imagine, and boys um, being subjected to peer pressure, we imagine a group of other boys taking the mick. But actually, the pressure, it, it's not necessarily a group of boys saying, you got to do this. It's a pressure within yourself to be like the other boys. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, you sense it, don't you? You, you pick up on it. It's this kind of unspoken thing that's hovering around. Yeah, I, I think too often the narrative around peer pressure is, well, I only smoked that cigarette or I only bunked off school because my friend told me to do it and that's peer pressure. But actually, I think teachers kind of set the weather, as as, as some great philosopher once said in the classroom, and... And, and, and boys and girls start acting a certain way and you feel a, a pressure to act like your peers. It's not that your peers are necessarily asking you to act a certain way. It's that you feel a pressure to act like your peers. Because we see in them popularity and acceptance and we want to replicate that in ourselves. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a form of social contagion where... As, as humans, psychologists have studied this and they say that, that we are very much influenced by what goes on around us. And, it, and it's that simple. We, we don't necessarily kind of, uh, someone tells you like Matt says, it's just you pick up on it. You, you kind of read these cues and, and often they're, 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 they seem to be invisible, but, but, but kids just pick up on them. That's a really interesting uh, chat, lads. I think that a lot of people are going to find that interesting. And as always, if you want to comment, uh, if you want to fire us a tweet or a question, uh, feel free. This next question came in via private message, and I think it's a really interesting one. Um, is there a danger that in challenging ideas about traditional masculinity that we are encouraging a generation of boys that lack resilience? I think that that, that question is, is assuming that, that resilience is, is something... Um, else, I think what what the questioner is asking is really about like this blind stoicism. There, it's this assumption for us: resilience is this positive characteristic. Things get tricky. Uh, you know, you come across something difficult. You don't just give in at the first sign of trouble. You keep going. You persevere, even if it's tough. There's there's a danger with 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 non tender masculinity that that resilience it becomes this stoicism this kind of classic british upper stiff upper lip where where you just keep on going when things are terrible and you need help and you need to scream out to one of your friends you don't ask for help and this is one of the things that that leads to to large numbers of male suicide and and it's not a good quality just to think i can bear anything i can take anything resilience is great but this kind of um just absolute headbutting against the wall stoicism is not good um, so no, we don't want to encourage um, boys to to just keep on going and and believe in this philosophy of manning up and taking whatever's thrown at you. It, that's not good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> further reading. If people want to know more about uh, peer pressure and and how it's affecting our boys, where do they need to go to look? There's a really interesting study. Um, the, probably the one that really shaped this chapter uh, by Van Tegem and Van Hooter, 2015. I think it's a, it's a Belgian study that looks at about 6,000 year eight pupils uh, and, and really looks at the way that, that peer pressure 
impacts on boys academically. So that's something I'd certainly take a look at. Uh, the the Martino study from 1999 is really interested in, in looking at this, this idea about sport and the interaction between uh, sport equal boys and, and academic success. Um, so, so that's really good. And then from a primary school point of view, Emma Reynolds study of 2001 that looks at year six pupils, I think it is, and, and, and looks at the way that, as we suspected, that, that primary school uh, is, is also uh, a focus of, of peer pressure for boys as well. So that, that's, that's the three things that I'd, I'd recommend taking a look at. I think, yeah, I think people should read, read the Willis book um it, you know if they can get hold of it learning to labor it's pretty um pretty seminal isn't it in terms of uh, peer pressure and also class um and also um i can't uh, recall the names of the studies off the top of my head um but john swain j o n s w a i n uh, he's he's written lots about peer pressure, particularly in relation to sport in in key stage two and stuff. So, I think I think that's something you should Google if you if if you can. Excellent, everybody. There's your homework, um, guys. It's been once again a thoroughly interesting conversation. I, the, these these chats are a real eye openers, um, and I think a lot of people are getting a lot out of them. So, uh, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, obviously, you two are both available to follow on Twitter. Uh, Mark is at Mr. Underscore English Teach. And Matt is at Positive Teacher, P O S I T I V T E A C H A. And obviously, you can follow us on at Boys Don't Try Pod. And uh, and feel free, please, to interact and, and, and feedback and, and let us know what you think. We're. we're we're uh, very keen to hear all your thoughts. You should follow James as well. James, don't be so modest. What's your handle? <laughs> okay, yeah, you can follow me on at the Lip Boost uh, if you so desire. Um, uh, at, at the Lip Boost is is my handle. Um, that that'll do enough. Thank you, fellas. Um, right, let's uh, let's sign off. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Cheers. Cheers.